Jesus came as a Jewish rabbi, not as an emperor, not as a king, as we understand kings, not as a military leader, not as a president of anything. He came as a Jewish rabbi. Why in the world is this important? Well, that's precisely what we're going to be tackling in this brand new mini-series called Rabbis and Disciples. Because when we better understand what it means that Jesus was a Jewish rabbi and how he was functioning in a Jewish world, we're going to better understand what it means to be faithful disciples of his in the world today. And hey, if you're watching this on YouTube, subscribe to our channel, like this video, and share it with someone you know will benefit from this. Thanks so much. Let's dive into part one of Rabbis and Disciples. Hello, everyone. I'm Brad Gray, and welcome to the Teaching Series podcast. I've learned that most of us have never been taught how to engage the Bible the way it was intended in its original context, and we are missing out on so much. I created the Teaching Series, which is a weekly video series that explores some aspect of the Bible in its original context and then talks through how we can apply it well to our own context. This podcast is the audio version of those highly visual video teachings, which can be found at walkingthetext.com. Please feel free to rate and review this podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and let's jump into the episode. I remember the first time someone said to me, you know, Jesus was Jewish, right? And I remember thinking in that moment, I had no idea. And I didn't know why that mattered. What did it do for my faith to know that Jesus was Jewish? And not just Jewish, Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. I didn't realize at the time how much understanding the Jewishness of Jesus and what that meant that he was a rabbi would change the trajectory of my life. A few years later, I was introduced to a guy by the name of Ray Vanderlaan, who began to help me to understand the implications of this. And then following seminary, I got to study at Jerusalem University College and got to study under an ordained rabbi. And these experiences and many others just expanded my understanding of the biblical story, particularly the gospel stories, because Jesus was a Jewish rabbi, and yes, so much more, but he was a Jewish rabbi functioning in a very Jewish world. And the more that I understood about Jesus and his world, the more I understood what he was teaching and what he was asking of his followers, and it accelerated my faith as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And this is precisely the impetus behind this brand new series called Rabbis and Disciples, is that I want to walk you through in a series of episodes all of the different facets of the first century Jewish world. What did it mean to be a rabbi? What did it mean to be a disciple? What was education like? What was it like to have an occupation? Like, did Jesus have a job? We know in the text it says he is a carpenter, but what does that mean? Is there a better translation for that? Was Jesus actually working when he was on the road teaching? And if he wasn't, then how were his needs being supplied to him? Why is he constantly being questioned about authority and being questioned about these different legal matters? And what are all of the facets 
of the first century world. And that's what we're going to do in a series of episodes to follow. And this episode in particular is going to lay a foundation for us to be able to launch from. And if you've been following Walking the Text for any length of time, you know that we spend time talking about the text in context and then typically spend quite a bit of time talking about, well, how do we live this out? How do we walk this out in our lives? And some of these episodes are going to have a very clear how do we walk this out component to it. Other episodes, even like today's episode, is going to be much more about helping you understand things that maybe you kind of understand, maybe not clearly understand, but will help enhance your understanding when you go and read these stories in the scriptures. And so that's what we're going to do in this episode, and it's going to be super helpful for us as we go forward in this brand new series, Rabbis and Disciples. So let's talk about what does the word rabbi mean? Jesus was a rabbi. It's a word that meant, in Jesus' day, my teacher or my master. It comes from the Hebrew word rav, which means much or many or great. And so rabbi, the E on the end means my, my master, is how we get the word rabbi. Now, the word rabbi as a technical term actually didn't become formalized until after 70 AD when the temple was burned in Jerusalem and things had to change for the Jewish people. So many people will quickly point out, well, Jesus wasn't a rabbi in the formal sense of the word. Um, and, And they're right because it didn't become formalized until a little bit later. But what we would call Jesus is a Jewish sage. Now, sage is not a word we use very often. And if we understand, and as we'll continue to define what a rabbi was in Jesus's day, I think it's more helpful to refer to Jesus as a rabbi, knowing that there's some kind of peripheral information as well. And so we're going to use rabbi going forward. Now, in Jesus's day, because it wasn't a formal title, it was actually a term of respect for anyone who taught the scriptures and raised up disciples. And this is unique to rabbis, which we'll talk about in another episode. But it was a term of respect. Anyone who was a rabbi would be called rabbi by the larger society, even if you were not a disciple of that particular rabbi. Uh, David Biven has this to say about the respected nature of sages or rabbis. He says, teachers of the Torah were the most esteemed, most respected in Jewish society. The goal of every child was to become a sage, a recognized teacher of the Torah in society. The competition was extreme. So everybody wanted to become a rabbi, and we'll talk a little bit more about this in the education episode that we will do. But it was a term of respect in Jesus's day. Now, if you were a a disciple of a particular rabbi, how did you address your rabbi? Well, you would use the word rabbi, but there's also indication in the text that Lord was even more appropriate. That if you called someone Lord, it just wasn't a term of respect. It was you saying that I am following what you say. I am pattering my life after you. And the word that you would use is Lord. And we see this show up in the Gospel of Matthew, which is the most Jewish of the four Gospels or the biographies on the life of Jesus. And I want to show you in one place where this shows up. It's in Matthew 26, 20 to 21, during the Last Supper. 
When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. So Jesus, you know, says this and everybody is distraught. And we read, they were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely not I, Lord. So one after another, they're saying, It's not me, is it, Lord? And then a few verses later, it comes to Judas. And notice what Judas said. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. If you've been following the usage of Lord and Rabbi in Matthew, the moment Judas says Rabbi, you go, that's it. It's him. In fact, Jesus then says, you have said so. Now, there's two ways to interpret this. When Jesus says, you have said so, he could be referring Judas, you just spoke, it's you, or as I believe in the interpretation, is that when he says, Rabbi, Jesus' response is, you have said so. You didn't call me Lord, you called me Rabbi, because I am not Lord of your life. Otherwise, you would do what I'm asking you to do. So there's an example of how Rabbi and Lord are being played out in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, at the center of a rabbi's life, were the sacred scriptures. It was all about the word of God. Now, in the Mishnah, here's a quote that I gave in a previous episode. It talks about the significance of the text in Jewish life, not just among the rabbis or the sages, but among all of the religious Jewish people. And in the Mishnah, and we're going to talk about the Mishnah in this episode, so hang tight, It is said about studying the scriptures, and this dates to the first century BC, pour over it again and again, for everything is contained in it. Look into it, grow old and gray over it, and do not depart from it, for there is no better pursuit for you than this. You dig in to the words of God. Now, what comprised the law or the Torah? I use the word law here just because this is a word many people know, but we actually think about it in more negative terms. And we've talked about this in the teaching series. The law of God is the Torah of God, and Torah literally means teachings, instructions, God's instructions for life. So what comprised the word of God, if you will, for the Jewish people in the first century world? Well, most of you know that you have what is called the written Torah that was written down by Moses, and this was given to Moses at Mount Sinai. But what maybe many of you don't know is that according to the Judaism or a Judaism of Jesus's day, there was actually a second Torah given at Mount Sinai. Notice again from the Mishnah, which was compiled in roughly 200 AD, so it reflects a time period after the time of Jesus, but as we'll learn in a little bit, it also reflects a time period before the time of Jesus. The tractate Perkeavot, the sayings of the fathers, begins with this. Moses received the oral Torah at Sinai and handed it on to Joshua, Joshua to elders, and elders to prophets. And prophets handed it on to the men of the great assembly which is part of um, the the major uh, Jewish teaching groups of the first century world. Now, we have the written Torah and we have the oral Torah. The written Torah in Hebrew is called Mikra, and it means that which is read. God instructed Moses, write down these commandments. Moses did so. It was to be read amongst the people. 
and the Mikra comprise the first five books of the Bible, often called the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Now, sometimes people will say Torah, and they're referring to all of the Hebrew scriptures, or what many refer to as the Old Testament or Older Testament. Not helpful, by the way. Another conversation for another day. But the idea here is that the written Torah comprised the 613 commandments called mitzvot in Hebrew, and those are found in the first five books of the Bible. So that's the written Torah. But this oral Torah is called Mishnah in Hebrew, and it means that which is repeated. And this interpreted the written Torah. So according to many Jewish people of Jesus's day, is that at Mount Sinai, God gave Moses commandments that were to be written down, but then God gave additional instructions that weren't supposed to be written down. They were supposed to be passed on from generation to generation that helped flesh out some of the commandments that God had given. And so the question for us becomes, well, is this in play in Jesus's day? And if so, does Jesus affirm the oral traditions? Well, interestingly, in Matthew 23, verses 1 to 2, we read this. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Now, Jesus talks about the, the, the teachers of the law, or the scribes here, and the Pharisees. Now, they affirmed the oral traditions, the oral Torah. The Sadducees, by the way, did not. So when Jesus is specifically saying the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat, Jesus says, do what they tell you to do. The Pharisees taught both written Torah as well as oral Torah, and Jesus seems to be affirming this. And so one of the things that we find is that in discussions that people have with Jesus, especially the Pharisees, they will often say to Jesus, hey, it is unlawful for you to do this on the Sabbath, for example. And if you go and look up what they're saying in the written Torah, in the first five books of the Bible, you're not going to find what they're saying in the first five books. And yet they're calling it lawful or what Jesus is doing is unlawful. That's because they're referring to the oral traditions in that moment because there was a written and an oral Torah, especially among the Pharisees. And that's part of the discussions that Jesus has with the Pharisees is about the oral traditions. And so Jesus says they sit in Moses' seat, which, by the way, has been found in archaeological excavations. This is from Chorazin, um, a little bit later than the time of Jesus, but other Moses' seats have been found. Because in Jesus' day, in the synagogue setting, you stood to read God's word, but then you sat in order to teach it. And so Jesus would have sat in Moses' seat when he was speaking and teaching in synagogues. So this is part of the oral Torah, or what we call rabbinic literature. And I want to just give you um, a little selection of rabbinic literature because you've heard of this before, and we're going to be referring back to these in future episodes. And so the oral Torah is comprised of three main works. Um, one is called the Mishnah, the other is called the Talmud, and there's actually two Talmuds, so that's how we get three. But let's talk a little bit about the Mishnah. 
The Mishnah, you've already heard this word um, because it means that which is repeated. Again, when God gave the oral traditions according to Judaism, these were not supposed to be written down, but they actually were. They were compiled by a guy by the name of Rabbi uh, Yehuda Hanasi or Judah the Prince in Sepphoris, or called uh, Zipporah in Hebrew, around 200 AD. And here's why the things that were never supposed to be written down got written down. There was the first great Jewish revolt in 66 AD that culminated in 70 AD with the burning of the temple in Jerusalem. That first Jewish revolt ended with the fall of Masada in either 73 or 74 AD. There was a second great Jewish revolt that took place from 132 to 135 AD, and that is um, called the Bar Kokhba Revolt. And so Judaism had gotten just squelched by the Romans on two different occasions, and Judaism was being split up. And so as a way of not losing all of the traditions, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi codified this in 200 AD at a place called Sepphoris, which, by the way, was only three and a half miles from where Jesus grew up. And even if you go to Sepphoris today, you can see the burial location of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. Now, it reflects, the Mishnah reflects the teachings of the rabbis from 200 BC to 200 AD. So a 400-year window. In fact, some people even put that more later third century BC, so even more than 400 years of oral traditions. And that is all comprised um, and compiled in what is called the Mishnah. And I've already given you some quotes from the Mishnah today. I mentioned that in connection to the Mishnah, you have the Talmud. Many of you have heard of the Talmud before. And so what is the Talmud? Well, in Hebrew, it means learning, teaching, or instruction. And the Talmud contains both the Mishnah, what we just talked about, and commentary on the Mishnah called Gemara. Now, not every tractate in the Mishnah has commentary on it, which is called Gemara, in the two Talmuds, but there is a significant amount of commentary. So here is what it looks like. This is called a folio. This is a page. And in the middle of it, you have what is called the Mishnah or the, 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 the Mishnah itself. So there's actually a work just called the Mishnah that has nothing else around it. But the Talmuds took the Mishnah and then took the discussions about the Mishnah. And that what got written down is called Gemara, which again means commentary. So this is what it looks like today for an Orthodox Jew who is reading uh, a Talmud. I mentioned that there are two Talmuds. There is the Jerusalem Talmud and the Babylonian Talmud. So the Jerusalem Talmud comprises the Mishnah, but then all of the discussions that were going on around Israel up until about 400 AD when it was codified. And then you have the Babylonian one, which again has the Mishnah, but the discussion, it has the Gemara is around the rabbis and those who were the spiritual leaders who were in Babylon. And so you have 400 AD, 500 AD, and the Jerusalem Talmud was actually codified in Tiberias on the Sea of Galilee. And so interestingly, the Mishnah, as well as the Jerusalem Talmud, were codified in the Galilee, which was always a big center for rabbinic thought and education and discussion, um, which is really pretty cool. So when you see a lowercase m, 
um, on any kind of a reference, that means Mishnah. If you see a lowercase y or j, because y is Jerusalem, j Jerusalem, then you're talking about the Jerusalem Talmud. If you see a lowercase b, it means the Babylonian Talmud. And I'll remind you because we're going to talk about um, references in order to better help us to understand the life of Jesus in future episodes. Which leads to this in question, why is this important to know? Why are we spending time talking about why is this helpful for you to know? Well, I love how Ann Spangler and Lois de Verberg put this in Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus. They said this, they said, Jesus lived in the midst of a golden age of study that provided the germinating seeds of Jewish thought today. Two of its founding thinkers, Hillel and Shammai, were teaching immediately prior to Jesus's time between 30 BC and AD 10. Here's the kicker. Many of the debates between the disciples of Hillel and Shammai are preserved in the Mishnah, and more than once, Jesus was asked to comment on the rulings. So when we ask the question, why is this important to know, is because what's preserved in Jewish literature are discussions that are going on in Jesus's day. Now, any of you who have studied rabbinic literature before, you've heard other people talk about that. Some people say, well, rabbinic literature is late. You can't trust it, so therefore disregard it. Um, I would challenge that. Yes, it is later, but if you can identify what rabbi is saying what is being recorded, and you can find out when that rabbi lived, now you can date what is being said. What's more, the schools of Hillel and Shammai are fully operational in Jesus's day. And in fact, so often the questions that Jesus gets asked by the people, they're really asking Jesus, do you side with Hillel or do you side with Shammai on this particular issue? And so the Mishnah as well as the Talmuds give us a window into what the discussions were like in Jesus's day. And we will be very careful with these sources, but we will also be utilizing them because they help us to understand what's going on in the gospel story. And the more we can understand the teachings, the life, the interactions that Jesus had, the better we can understand what it means to be a faithful disciple of his because Jesus was a Jewish rabbi functioning in a very Jewish world. And as we'll continue to see here, Jesus was the greatest of all teachers. And so let me just leave you with this final quote Another one from Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus from Ann Spangler and Lois Verberg. they say this, in our materialistic, entertainment-oriented culture, people look at business titans, sports heroes, and movie stars as people to be emulated. Our society honors those who possess beauty and wealth, but in Jesus's time and throughout the ages, the Jewish people believed that becoming a great scholar of the scriptures represented life's supreme achievement. In such a culture, it made sense that the Messiah should be the greatest of teachers. No wonder Jesus became a Jewish rabbi. And we'll continue to expound upon that in future episodes. So friends, thanks so much for watching. Thanks for listening. As always, I hope this is helpful to you and may you walk out the text well in your life. 